0: Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. Paul is reading for us and we're making our way through now. Jesus begins his ministry in Matthew 4 after being baptized by John the Baptist. He's now being tempted 40 days and 40 nights. This will be the first mention of the devil in the New Testament. And let's pick it up in verse 8 through 11. Now again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said that to him, All these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you will serve. And the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him, let me just start with this verse eleven right here. The uh, reason we have four gospels is when you read luke 's account of this very verse, it doesn 't mention angels, but what it does say is that the devil left him for a more until a more opportune time. So when you put the two together, you got the whole picture. Yes, angels did appear and minister to the Lord. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that the devil never uh, harassed him again. Matter of fact, he was instrumental in in bringing about the cross, not understanding fully the resurrection, and that he really wanted to kill um, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, This is the beginning of where the Lord starts his ministry, And right from the get-go, we have opposition. And Lucifer and the Antichrist have one ambition, and that is to be worshipped. In the middle of the tribulation, he will destroy the pseudo-church out of Rome because he won't have anybody worship except him. that's Revelation chapter 12. So here... um, The Lord does not dispute his ownership of planet Earth. He could have said, look, I created you and I created everything here. This is mine. He doesn't dispute that the world was forfeited to Lucifer in the garden when Eve sinned. That's why when we get to the book of Revelation, there's a scroll in the Father's hands and John begins to weep bitterly because nobody on the earth was found worthy to go take the scroll out of the Father's hand and open it. Not in heaven, not in the earth, or under the earth. And John couldn't handle that thought. What thought? That planet earth would remain in the control and the hands of Lucifer. And then an angel says, weep not, John. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Dava. David has prevailed to take the scroll And to open the scroll. What's the scroll? Title deed to planet Earth. And he purchased it on Calvary, but he hasn't laid claim to it until he has to take the world through the seven-year period of time that we call the Tribulation, where he'll deal with the Jewish people. And uh, he is the one, uh, when he opened the scroll, all heaven breaks loose with singing. And uh, they sang a new song. Worthy are you, O Lord, for you have redeemed us by your blood from all nations, all tongues, and all tribes. Only the church can sing that song. So what we have here is Satan is called the God of this world. The Lord does not dispute that it's his, but he won't um, worship (laughs) Lucifer. And he said, away with you, Satan. And again, I've been making a point that the Bible's about prophecy. And he said, It is written, You shall worship the Lord, and him only will you serve. This morning we're going to, so sort of a I call it a shotgun Bible study because this is such a broad subject when you get into talking about the, the demonic realm and the forces that exist there. And it's very, very broad, so I'm only going to be able to touch on on some of the areas where the enemy has authority, where he doesn't have authority. What can he do? What can't he do? How does he manifest himself in the world, in our society, even in the church? So we're going to begin this morning by looking at the reality of um, his existence. Of course, when Lucifer fell... He was the most beautiful creature that God had ever created. And yet, when you talk about the devil today, what do people think about? Some ugly, gory thing with a pitchfork and a red suit on or or whatever. And it's just the opposite. He's the most beautiful creature that's ever been created. And then it says he's full of wisdom. He has been studying mankind our strengths, our weaknesses, for 6,000 years. And he knew exactly where to tempt Jesus. And, you know, you see in the National Geographic shows where you see the, the wolves chasing the caribou or whatever, and there's usually one sickly one in the back or one small one, and the, the wolves are wise enough to figure out, we'll go for that one because he's the weakest. The devil's no different. He went after the Lord when he was at his weakest point in hunger. It says after 40 days he hungered. So he says, all right, if you're God, go ahead and make those stones into bread. And that's where we have this famous verse that is written. It is written. Man shall not live by Burger King alone. You know? Culver's is okay, but forget Burger King. No, 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 no. We feed the flesh well, don't we? But what really satisfies the soul and equips us. We are to be in my position, a pastor teacher. We are to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. I can't say that enough. Our job here is to equip you and have an understanding of a subject that the Bible deals a lot with. And it's the other side. It's the demonic realm. And, um, to make light of it and even mock us to make us think that you guys are crazy. You believe in the devil and you believe in demons. And so he, he mocks us with shows like um, Ghostbusters. Put Dan Aykroyd in there. And uh, have the end of the movie be a giant marshmallow that gets toasted and falls all over. It's, it's nothing more than, than mockery. I ain't afraid of no ghost. And uh, the whole thing is about ghosts that you can trap in some sort of machine, and it's mockery. And to 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 play this reality down. No, there's a real soul war going on. And what's at stake is your eternity. I got a chance to share the gospel with a couple guys the other day because I ran into him, and he says, "Aren't you Dwight from Calvary Chapel? And I go, "Yeah. Who are you?" He says, well, my mom goes there, and, and I grew up there, but I don't, I don't go anymore. And I thought, okay, I'll, I'll take that as a, throw the line out there, do a little fishing here. So, so why don't you go back there? I said, you, you need to get back to church. I said, there's things going on in the world that you need to be made aware of. Are you aware of what's going on in the Middle East right now? Do you know how close it is to the coming of the Lord? Yeah, man, you're playing Russian roulette with your soul, and you don't even know it. He says, what are you talking about? And I I just took a minute and talked about Bible prophecy. And I said, the reason you need to get back to church is so that you can have an understanding of what's about to take place. For instance, Damascus is going to get wiped out pretty soon. 365,000 people Assad has killed in the last seven years. And nobody talks about it. And right now, we have Israel with six Fronts surrounding Lebanon with Hezbollah. And I believe we already have a green light from Trump. It might be a co-effort to do a preemptive strike on these 1,000 missiles that are all pointed at Israel. You think Israel's uh, going to, if they know that that's going to happen, they'll they'll do exactly what they did in the Six-Day War. The day before the Six-Day War started, Israel preempted the Egyptian Air Force and completely eliminated it. And if they wouldn't have, the Six-Day War might have turned out completely different. And so this is what's happening. uh, um, Isaiah 17 is a Bible prophecy. It says Damascus is going to be destroyed in one day. And I look at the news, but you're not going to get this stuff on CNN. (laughs) Judy and I were watching this on uh, hischannel.com uh, this last Thursday I really encourage you guys to Just write this down Hischannel.com World News Briefing And they'll what I just told you I gleaned from uh, them Keeping up to date Anyway, the bottom line with the kid Is I just got really big And, and um, when I was done talking with him I said, come on with me huh? I want to give you something So I marched him out to my car Got him a God of Waters Got him seeking and finding God and I said, here, go home and read it and get back to church. <laughs> don't know if we will or won't. But um, I remember using the terminology, you don't want to play Russian roulette with your soul. You don't, you're don't. you not understanding the implications. The, these are eternal. Um, these are eternal things that you have to believe in or not believe in. And your soul really is, is it? is at stake, and I'm already sidetracked. So as we talk about the reality of his existence, let's um, turn back to, um, let's go to Matthew chapter 13. Jesus told his disciples, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, along with one-third of all the angels. There are millions of angels according to Revelation 5. Thousands times ten thousands times 10,000 equals millions of angels. Well, one million of those angels that he was able to persuade to follow him are what we refer to today as demons. They are of different status. They have different authority. They have different powers. And the war that is going on today is uh, we find in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus put it in a parable form so that we could understand what's taking place on both sides. So let's pick it up in verse 24. It's the parable of the wheat and the tares. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in the field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheats and then went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. And so the servant of the owners came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in the field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. And the servant said to him, Well, do you want us to go up and gather them up? And he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares you might uproot the wheat with with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather together the tares. Put them in bundles and burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. Now the explanation is given to us in verse 36. The disciples wanted to know, What were you talking about? So in verse 37, he answers his disciples. He said, the, He who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. Well, when Jesus came, he came to present the gospel. Why he came into the world? He explained it to his disciples. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be killed. And on the third day, I'm going to rise from the dead. He, he told them straight out the gospel. And it went right over their heads. They never got it. So, In a sense, um, when you share with somebody from the Bible, you're actually sowing seeds. Verse 38, the field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. And the harvesters of the end of the age and the reapers are the angels. So we have Jesus, the Son of God, sowing good seed, which produces the grain. But then we have the devil introduced, who has his own plan of deception. Um, Tares look like wheat, but they're not wheat. And uh, here we're told that the devil himself is responsible for it. Verse 40. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and Burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness. And will cast them into a furnace of fire where there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Sometimes I think we read over something too quickly. We don't grasp the gravity, the intensity of this going on forever and ever and ever. Have you Ever heard somebody wail? Or an extreme ag- anguish and agony? Well, this is going to go on throughout eternity. Then the righteous will shine forth as a son in the kingdom of their father. And then he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, I'm preaching to the choir this morning. I'm going to take for granted here everybody is born again, and you have ears to hear. And that simply means that you're going to understand the Bible study that we're about to get into. However, if you're not born again, and I start to talk about spiritual things in a spiritual dimension, you're not going to get it. For the Bible says in order to, only those who um, are born of the Spirit can actually comprehend the things of the Spirit. And that's why the Lord says here at the end, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Hear what? Well, what we have are two things going on. We have the real gospel. That's what it's telling us. Who brought us the real gospel? Jesus Christ. But at the same time, we find that the devil came in and he began to sow tares, a counterfeit. What does that say? Well, basically what is being explained to us here is there is one gospel message and eventually, with this one gospel message, mankind can be saved. On the other hand, there are many different tears, many different ways that people will say that you can get to heaven. And man, I could be up here all morning just going, going through the list. We have uh, New Ageism, Mormonism, Hinduism, Buddhism, Transcendental Meditation, um, Jehovah Witnesses, Yoga, Astral Projection. I mean, the list goes on and on. And, um, you know, some are thinking right now, Dwight, what you're talking about is not very politically correct. (laughs) I mean, the world is really trying to get along right now. We're all trying to become one. And we see that happening, don't we? We see the dumbing down of the gospel for the sake of unity. And say, well, yeah, well, we won't insist that Jesus is the only way. There are churches in town that believe that Allah and Jesus are one and the same. And you can believe in one or the other. It's called Chris Lowe. And uh, what they've done is compromised by, by doing so. And it's one of the most dangerous things you do. All of a sudden, you have another gospel Allah is not God. Allah is a, either a demon or one of the, the 300 deities of the, of, uh, during, um, um, in, in Muslim religion was the moon god. So we have something that's going to cause division. And the Lord even said so. What I've just told you is that there's no other way that you're going to go to heaven except by you believing in Jesus Christ. Well, why is Jesus the only way? Well, because he's the only one who lived the perfect life. He never sinned. And he was a perfect sacrifice. And he's the only one that talks about sin and the need for repentance. Good place for an amen. See, nobody else does that. You can become a member of an organization no matter what it is. And again, the list goes on and on. So when the Lord says, don't think that I've come to bring peace, I haven't. I've come to bring division, a sword. That in one's own family, there will be those that are insisting that the way to heaven is narrow and few be that get there. And there will be those that, especially the younger generation, I mean, we're all young one time and idealistic and, and thought we had it all figured out and we had absolutely nothing figured out. It is amazing how when you get to be 30, how smart your parents were after all. That always amazed me when I figured they knew nothing at all. And so in one's own household, there will be that division. Why can't we all just get along? I mean, imagine that. Come on, nobody from the 60s got that one? John Lennon's song, Imagine. Imagine there is no heaven. Imagine there is no hell. All for the sake of, of peace and unity. And, um, and yet, the reality is that um, the enemy wants to take those narrow-minded people like yourself and take you out. You see, the devil really wasn't too concerned with Simon Peter until after he was a follower of Jesus Christ. He even became a spokesman for the Lord. And Jesus said to Peter one day, he said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. He wants to take you out. But he says, I've prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And when you have returned, then strengthen your brethren. Oh, come on, Dwight, we're talking about Peter here. I'm no, no Peter. I can understand the devil wanting to mess with Peter, but not me. All right, this is what Peter has to say to you from 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober. Be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking who he can take out. Where's your Achilles heel? Where can I attack him? What's his weak spot? And he's just waiting for that moment in time, primarily to make you ineffective as um, a minister of the gospel. Peter eventually paid the ultimate price by being crucified on a cross upside down. So he wanted him, but the Lord prayed for him, and he didn't allow it to happen. So it raises the question, what can Satan do, and what can't he do? Um, Let's turn to the book of Job And while you're turning to the book of Job I'm going to quote from the book of Exodus I remember when I was a young Christian I said, that's a funny name for a book Job? Why would anybody put job in the Bible? Dwight, it's not job, it's Job Oh, okay After 400 years of captivity God raised up Moses and Aaron To deliver the children of Israel Out of bitter bondage To show that they had come with God's authority, the Lord told Moses to take his staff before Pharaoh and say, by this you shall know that the Lord God has sent us. And he took his staff and he threw it to the ground and it became a serpent. And the Pharaoh looks down at the serpent, wasn't impressed at all. Says, Janus, Jambri, come on out. They came out with rods. They threw their rods down. And they became serpents. And then Moses' serpent devoured Janus and Jambry's two serpents. What's your point, Dwight? Well, the devil evidently has the ability to do miracles. The next thing Moses did with his rod is he touched the Nile River and it began to turn to blood. And um, we find out that Janus and Jambry came out with their rods and touched the Nile And it also turned to blood. And I'm thinking, how dumb are these guys? (laughs) But my point is, they were able to duplicate to some point miracles. So the question is, what can and what can't the devil do? Well, evidently, they can do miracles up to a certain point. Now, as you look at the book of Job, here is a very wealthy man. He was a very godly man. And we get an earthly perspective and a heavenly perspective. The earthly perspective is he had a very large household. He prayed and fasted for his sons. Just in case he might have sinned, we read in verse 5. And he did this every day. He had his morning devotions. Then we have the heavenly perspective in verse 6, where it says, There came a day when the sons of God, these would be angels, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came with them. What? Satan has access to heaven? Yeah. And the Lord says to Satan, where have you been? Oh, I've been going to and fro, walking around the earth. And he says, well, have you noticed my servant Job? There's none like him. He's blameless. He's an upright man. He fears God, shuns evil. The devil says, well, why shouldn't he? Look at how you protect him. I can't get my hands on him. You put this hedge of protection around him. That's why he praises you. Take that away from him, and I'll show you what he's really made out of. Notice that it says in verse 12, Behold, all that he has is in your power. So he has the power to do it, but God is still sovereign, and God is allowing this test to take place. But I have this underlined. It is in your power. He is the God of this world. But the Lord is um, putting angels, evidently, around Job and supernaturally protecting him from this attack. But now the hedge is taken away. And what happens? All of his belongings, all of his wealth, seven sons, three daughters, A windstorm came. Who created the windstorm? Satan created the windstorm. And it killed all of them. And this all happened in one day. And a messenger comes and tells them that a tornado took out their son's house. They were having a birthday party or something. and, And they're all dead and I'm the only one left to escape to tell you, verse 19. And then Job arose and tore his robe, shaved his head, fell on the ground, and he worshiped. He wasn't mad at God. He worshiped the Lord. And he said, Naked I came, naked I shall return. The Lord is given, the Lord is taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. How do you keep a guy like that down? Imagine losing your whole family in one day. And... Um, And he just he just worships the Lord, and gives the glory to God. My point in taking you here is, for some reason, and probably because of countless number of millions of people over the years that have found great comfort by studying and reading the Book of Job, that if Job can get through this, then Romans eight twenty eight is still in the Bible, and God is going to work it all out for good. You see, when you read the last chapter of Job, he gets all of his kids back. Not the same ones, different ones. And he's richer than he was before. But he's got to go through 40 some chapters of his friends reeling on him, saying, Job, just confess your sin, and if you confess your sin, then everything's going to be all right." because obviously you've done something wrong for all this bad stuff to happen to you. You ever have anybody lay that guilt trip on you? Yeah. The the faith the prosperity doctrine. That's part of their teaching. And uh well I claimed it in Jesus' name and and um and uh nothing, nothing happened. And um James says you pray and you don't get it because you're consuming it upon your own desires. What father gives her child anything they want? Nobody. You turn him into a spoiled brat. You do that. And uh, how much more our Heavenly Father um, gives and and takes as he wishes. All right. Let's turn to, um, I just wanted to establish that the enemy, what can and he can't do? Well, he can do miracles. He did with Moses and Pharaoh. Um, He has some control at uh, God's sovereignty, um, to bring judgment. Let's turn to uh, Mark chapter 5 in the New Testament. When we're in Israel, there's, we stop the boat, and we point out where this event took place. Uh, one side of the Sea of Galilee is Tiberias, and on the other side is uh, the land of the Gadarenes, Bethsaida up in that area in Chorazin. But in chapter 5, verse 1, we find he came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs and no one could bind him, no, not even with chains because he had often been bound with shackles and chains and the chains had been pulled apart by him and the shackles, broken in pieces, and neither could anybody tame him. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out, cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and he worshipped him, and cried out with a loud voice, saying, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Some Christians say, well, I believe in God. And if they're not born again, and I said, so did the devils. They believed in God, and they worshiped him. I implore you by God, do not torment me. And he said to them, come out of the man unclean spirit. And he answered him, what is your name? And he answered, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly that they would not be sent out of the country, and there was a large herd of swine feeding near the mountains, and the demons begged him, saying, Send us to the swine, that we may enter them. And the Lord gave them permission. And the unclean spirits went out and entered a swine, about 2,000, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. And um those who fed the swine fled, and they told it in the in the city and in the country. Now when you read this account in Luke, you have the exact same story. If you're taking notes, it's Luke chapter eight, verse thirty one. When we read here, it says, Send us into the swine in Luke's account, it says, I'll turn to it quickly and just read it to you. eight thirty one says And they begged him and said he would not command them to go into the abyss. Well, what is the abyss? The abyss is the center of the earth. And evidently there's this place that um, is kept in store that incarcerate demons. Now, if you're taking notes, be a berean and follow me up on this and think it through. In the book of Jude, verse 6, it says that um, some of these angels that rebelled, he has kept in chains in reserve until the day of judgment. Now it can have one of two meanings. In Revelation 9, there's an angel that comes down with a key, remember, and opens a bottomless pit, and out comes demons during the tribulation. And they torture men. They don't kill men. They torture men for five months. It could be a reference to that. It could be a reference, the Bible says, don't you know, that someday you guys are going to judge angels? It could be a reference, that could be the day of judgment where we actually judge them. Which of the two is it? I don't know. All I know is these demons here didn't want anything to do with it right now. In Luke chapter 8 it says, don't send us into the abyss. We're talking about the center of the earth, the bottomless pit. That's what it's referred to there. What does that tell us? Well, it tells us that there are some demonic beings that are so terrible that the Lord won't allow them to have access to planet earth. My question is, why does he allow any of them to have access to planet earth? And when it gets into this subject, I'll admit there's a lot that the Lord doesn't explain to us. I have a lot of questions about it. And for his own reasons, he's chosen to give us what we need to know for now. What we've learned so far? Well, they exist, number one. The very when Jesus began his ministry, he tried to stop the ministry. That didn't work. What can they do? Well, with with God's sovereignty and permission, He's allowed to bring judgment, uh, and He allowed Satan to have control over the weather to kill Job's seven sons and three daughters. So we know He has authority in that realm. It's the second service. I care if I wander just a little bit? I I got to tell you, four nor'easters back to back, one every week. It's got me thinking. It just got me thinking. Not one right after another. I mean, two feet of snow every single time. I'm thinking, okay, you guys, is is the Lord trying to get your attention right now? And uh, one right after another, with all the stuff that's taking place in the world? I don't have a yes or a no to that, but I think about it. Um, Oh, what's my friend's name from the White House? He's... um, I See, this is why I shouldn't start with a story. White House press representative, who? Bill Bill Koenig, thank you very much. Bill's a a White House correspondent. And um, he wrote a book called Eye to Eye. And basically the book is, whenever we take a stand against Israel in some way, shape, or form, especially during the Obama administration, something bad happened in America, almost without exception. That's what his whole book is about. And I can rationalize that because of Genesis 12, 3, which we read yesterday in men's prayer. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse you who curse you. The president of Turkey has no idea what he's messing with, and he has no idea how much trouble he's in by calling for the destruction of Israel. He is in one big trouble. So... Today, we have um, Jesus casting out demons, which uh, brings me uh, to the question, um, can a Christian be demon-possessed? And the answer to that question is absolutely not. Let me say it again. Can a born-again Christian be possessed Demon possessed. Answer, absolutely not. No more than light and darkness can exist at the same time. How can you have a light and be totally dark at the same time? You cannot. Don't you know that you're the temple of the Most High God? And we're not to join ourselves as the things of the world because you're the temple of the Holy Spirit? You think a a demon is going to be in there too? No. But I'm getting a little ahead of myself. And we'll go and talk about that in a bit. But here we find that um, the Lord casts the demon out. I'm going to put something up on the screen now that just came out this last week. A report from the Vatican. They're training exorcists with demonic possession rising in Italy. And I'm quoting here, while demonic possession is rising, even tripling in recent years, the Vatican is reportedly setting up a new training for exorcists. Uh, Exorcism 101, I suppose. Uh, Vatican training more exorcists reports demonic possession soaring, according to uh, this priest. Uh, A self-taught exorcist certainly meets errors, this priest says at Vatican Radio. And he says, I will say more it would also take a period of sort of an apprenticeship as they learn how to successfully be an exorcist. There are more than, catch this, 500,000 alleged cases of demon possession annually in Italy, according to this priest, who claims it was due to the increased popularity of fortune tellers, tarot cards, and the opening the door of the devil and to possession. Now, here we have priests. I do not know a born-again priest, okay? So now we have somebody who does not have the Spirit of God living in them. These priests that are being trained are no more qualified to cast out a demon than the seven sons of Siva tried to do it in Acts chapter 19. Who are the seven sons of Siva? Well, I'm glad you asked me that question. Turn to Acts 19 and we'll find out. Acts chapter 19. Acts 19, picking it up in verse 11. We're in Ephesus. Read verse 11. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. So that even his handkerchief or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the disease left them, and evil spirits went out of them. So some of the uh, itinerant Jewish exorcists, they took it upon themselves, like I said, underlined, to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. And they said, We adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches, And also, there were the seven sons of Siva, the chief, the Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirits, so they're trying to cast a demon out. So the evil spirits answered and said, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you guys? And then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, prevailed against them, so that they fled out of the house. Naked and wounded, and this became known in Ephesus all around. In other words, unless you're uh, born again and the Spirit of God is dwelling in you, you have no authority on your own. And um, demonic ac- activity—can a Christian? We we got to uh, the question: Can a christian be demon possessed answer absolutely not now can a christian be oppressed the answer absolutely yes and to back that one up we need to turn to second corinthians chapter 12 paul one time was preaching the gospel and it was this girl who was possessed with a familiar spirit And you say dwight what's a familiar spirit Well, she was working for a couple of guys and making a lot of money because if you have a familiar spirit, then a familiar spirit has the ability to do fortune telling and tell you something about yourself that they have the foresight to see. And this gal was following Paul around and saying, this is the Apostle Paul. He's a servant of the Most High God who explains the way how people get to heaven. And she was doing this day after day after day. And finally, Paul had enough of it. And he turned around and he says, I command you in the name of Jesus, come out of her. And the unfamiliar spirit came out. And the guys that she worked for couldn't use her anymore. And, you know, they t- they take it out on, on Paul. They had lost their means because... The demon that was in her was making money for these guys. And what's interesting about the story is that the Bible tells us that the demon came out in that hour. In other words, it wasn't an immediate thing. So when a demon comes out, does it happen right away? Remember when Jesus came down from the Mount of Olives with Peter, James, and John? The disciples were down there, and there was a demon-possessed guy. And the Lord shows up, and the disciple says, Lord, we couldn't, we couldn't cast the demon out of this one. Oh, this one's different. Well, what do you mean it's different? No, this, this is a heavy-duty one. This one only comes out by prayer and fasting. Sometimes they come out immediately, like the, the ones with the swine. Sometimes it says the demon came out in that hour. We have a couple at our fellowship here. Gets a frantic phone call from a mother. They know that they're Christians, and they said there's something going on down here that's really weird, and we think it has to do with the devil. Well, they were on a plane before you know it, and they went down there and found out that their mother was demon-possessed. And so what happened, long story short with that, they got involved with the Calvary Chapel, prayed over... Mom and the Spirit left for a while, and then came back for a while. This went on for months, back and forth. Finally, after much prayer, um, got Calvary Chapel involved with it. They get saved, (laughs) give their life to Jesus. And they take it so seriously, they sell their house so they can move closer to the church. Why? Because they experience the real deal. You see, talking to them about demon possession is a reality. And and it's it's a torment, just like it was a torment with the man in the tombs. And when you're set free from that, then you can't get enough of this. I want to know what just happened to me. And when it just happens and you have no biblical background, or people who are, in this case, they're from our fellowship here, get on a plane and fly down there and explain what's going on. And is there a Calvary Chapel by? <laughs> and, uh, you know, the good news is they're plugged into the church and they move closer because all of a sudden this is real. This isn't uh, fairy tale stuff that happens. There's a real war that goes on in, in this particular realm. Um, so these priests were not qualified If you're in 2 Corinthians 12, no, you can't be possessed. But Paul was oppressed. Why? Well, the Lord had taken him to heaven. And he was taken and he says, "Um, I, I heard things which is not lawful for any man to utter. Trying to explain the beauty and the music of heaven. He says, verse 4 says, which is not lawful for a man to utter. And then he said, because he went to heaven, verse 7, unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I would be exalted above measure. Paul just went to heaven. He could have had a big head about that. So what does the Lord do? Well, it tells us here that the Lord sent a messenger of Satan, I take that to being a demon, to buffet him. And, you know, I've read volumes by people who say, well, it was an eye infection that was a thorn in a flesh or whatever. No, it was a messenger of Satan to buffer him. That's what the Bible says. Tells me. So, can a person be possessed? Yes. No. Erase that tape, correct it. (laughs) Can they be oppressed? Yes. I'll just be honest with you guys. There's, There's days that I'm aware of it. And I know I'm a target. I know you guys are a target. I know anybody that sees Jesus as being the most important thing in their life, and they look for opportunities to set people free with the gospel. The enemy is going to do all he can to, to stop that from happening. And so how does he do it? Well, there's days just that I just don't feel very spiritual. And um, I, I wonder um, where my guardian angel is on such occasions. <laughs> and there are times that God allows the thorn in the flesh. Why? To keep us usable. Because if um, um, you get used and it goes to your head, you might actually think you're somebody. And so if you don't, the whole purpose of this sword in the flesh is to keep Paul humble. And he's, he finally had enough. He said, Lord, would you please get rid of this demon that's hassling me? Three times. And the third time the Lord said to him, no, Paul. It's going to stay. I want to keep you usable, keep you humble. My grace is, verse 9, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. What does Paul say? Praise the Lord. Therefore, more gladly, I will rejoice in my infirmity that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And I will take pleasure in my infirmities and reproaches, in needs and persecutions and distress for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. The Lord is not really impressed with the, uh, the flash and the pomp that's in a lot of the church today. And um, we're finding out that there is this realm and there, there will be times that, that um, you're aware of this warfare that's taking place. We call it spiritual warfare. What's happening right now? Well, dealing with some spiritual warfare. Well, what does that mean? Well, it can take on a lot of different forms. God clearly forbids his people from messing around with anything that has to do with the occult. If you want to, you can turn to Deuteronomy 18, or I'll just quote it to you. Deuteronomy 18 says, When you come into the land which the Lord your God is going to give you, you shall not learn to follow the abomination of those nations. There shall not be found anyone among you who makes his son or daughter to pass through the fire. This was child sacrifice to Moloch. One who practices witchcraft or a soothsayer or one who interprets omens or a sorcerer one who conjures spells or a medium or a spiritist or one who calls up from the dead. I'll come back to that, last one. For those who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord, your God, drives them out from before you. Why were the seven nations, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Parasites, those people living in Cana, Why were they driven out? Because they were involved with all these things. And when it reached a certain point, it says when their iniquity was full, the children of Israel took the promised land. And he says, now that you're here, don't you dare go and practice and do these things. So what did they do? When when they were taken into captivity by the Assyrians and then by the Babylonians, Jeremiah says, the things that you're practicing right now were worse than the Canaanites that lived here before. You are worse than they are. Therefore, God's going to bring you into judgment. That's why they went into the Babylonian captivity. Uh, for these nations which you will dis, um, dispossess, uh, listening to soothsayers and diviners, but as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. Let's go back to calling up the dead. There's actually uh, a pastor whose name is Steve Berger. Um, I believe he's in Tennessee or North Carolina. He's written several books between heaven and earth. And one of his books, uh, another one is about he lost his 19-year-old son. And um, in his book, he talks about his son appearing during the worship service and that he could actually see him. And uh, he sees him on a regular occasion. And um, necromancy. I've been practicing between services because I said it wrong in the first service. Necromancy, that's what it is. What is Necromancy. It's just that. It is a calling up of the dead. We have one case of it in the Bible, and I will show it to you. You need to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 28 in the Old Testament. 1 Samuel 28. The setting is Saul has been rejected by the Lord. I bring this up because everybody here has heard somebody at one time or another say that they've seen a dead loved one or something like that. And the Bible actually speaks against it because my Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, if you're a believer. And with the story with the rich man and Lazarus, when he died, he found himself in hell in torment. And he wasn't allowed to leave until Revelation 20 where it says death and hell gave up the dead, but not until then. So what I'm reading right here is an exception, and it does involve witchcraft in order to make it happen. In verse 7, Saul's in trouble. God's not speaking to him anymore. And Saul said to his servant, Find me a woman who is a medium, that I may go and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, In fact, there's a woman who is a witch or a medium at Endor, Now, Endor, remember I told you about uh, Satan mocking when we talk about this stuff? Remember, she's a witch. Remember the movie Bewitched with Samantha? No, she did the cute nose thing. What What was her mother's name? Endora, how interesting. A witch from Endor. Don't you think he's mocking? Yeah making a joke out of it. So Saul disguised himself and put on other clothes and went, and two men went with him, and they came to the woman by night, and she said, Please conduct a seance. Do you know that seances are done for many, many years on a regular basis because of Houdini? And that Houdini's father was the first rabbi in Appleton, Wisconsin? Houdini saw through a lot of the shenanigans, like 1-800 Dial Psychic Hotline, yeah, there's a lot of shams out there. There's a lot of phony balonies out there, but at the same time, there's some real, the ones with, that are the real deal. And Houdini, in a little research that I did on him, he saw through that, and one of his goals was to expose what he did not believe in, what his father would have believed as a rabbi, in the spiritual uh, dimension. Please conduct a seance for me and bring me up the one that I shall name. Then the woman said, Look, you know what Saul has done, how he's cut off all the mediums and a spiritists from the land. Why then do you lay a snare for my life and cause me to die? And Saul swore to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord lives, no punishment will come upon you. So the woman says, Who do you want? And Saul says, Bring me Samuel. And when the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice, and the woman spoke out to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? You're Saul. And the king said to her, Don't be afraid. What did you see? And the woman said to Saul, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. So he said to her, What is his form? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he's covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel who had And he stooped his face to the ground and bowed down. Now Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? At this time, he would have been in a place called Abraham's bosom. Uh, That's where the dead in faith went in the Old Testament. And Saul answered, I am deeply distressed, for the Philistines make war against me. God has departed from me, doesn't answer me anymore, neither by prophet nor by dreams. Therefore, I have called you that you may reveal to me what I should do. And then Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, seeing that the Lord has already departed from you and has become your enemy? And the Lord has done for himself as he spoke to me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, namely David. And because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, nor execute his fierce wrath upon the Amalekites. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord is also going to deliver Israel into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow, you and your sons will be with them, with me, I should say. In other words, you're going to die. And the Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. Gang, there's a spiritual realm. And here, when it talks about what the children of God should never be into, is a spiritist or one who calls up the dead. They were driven out of the land, but they happened to know where one was. And it happened to be at Endor. All right? I want to touch on apparitions of Mary, because people wonder about that. and let's face it, we're in... Catholic Mecca, <laughs> especially Green Bay. Uh, everybody's familiar with Fatima, but do you know that the first one and the only one sanctioned by Rome is in uh, Alloway, Wisconsin? Nearly 160 years ago, on October 9, 1859, Mary appeared to a young Belgian immigrant living in Kiwannee County, located in eastern Wisconsin, on Lake Michigan near Green Bay. On December eighth, a priest and formally approved the apparition of Our Lady of Good Help uh, to Brise, making the Marian apparition that occurred some 18 miles north of Green Bay the first in the United States to receive approval of uh, the diocese and from the bishop. His decree came nearly two years after he opened a formal investigation into the apparition. So, um, Mary appears to this young gal. Well, two things. Either it didn't happen, or it did happen. If it did happen, it wasn't Mary. Well, then who was it? 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says, For Satan himself can transform himself into an angel of light. People will travel all over the world. I heard one guy say, Where are you taking your vacation? I'm going to Alloway. I'm going to go there because Mary was there. Same things that people do at Holy Hill. I don't know if there was an apparition down there, but supposedly miracles took place. And what you have is another gospel. And uh, making her co-redemptress equal to the Lord Jesus Christ. Gang, that's heresy. There's another word for it. And if it did happen... Then it was not Mary, because Mary called Jesus her Savior, her Lord. And she's not a perpetual virgin. And Jesus did have brothers and sisters, and they're named. And so what we have here, I wanted to touch on it this morning. I told you this was a broad subject, but I at least wanted to touch on maybe any ex-Catholics that are dealing with family members and their life ambition is making up to Alloway, Wisconsin. And um, the Roman Catholic doctrine is, is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and uh, I'll just leave that there because I wanted to touch on it because it's demonic. Um, the devil has made his way into the church. We'll get close to winding up with this. So turn to Matthew chapter 13, please. I'm actually going to play a short video of um, something that Jesus predicted would take place. Matthew 13 again, and so one on, on parables. And Matthew 13, verse 31, tells us, it's the parable of the mustard seed. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in, into his field. Everybody know what a mustard seed is? It's about a real real little. The plants grow be about about that big. Uh, Which indeed is the least of all the seeds, but when it it grows, it's greater than the herb, and it becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. What a weird parable. I'm going to introduce a big word to you. It's called expeditional constancy. Well, what in the world is that? Expeditional constancy is when there's symbolism used in a parable, in this case, birds, and it doesn't explain who or what the birds are. If there's another parable, like the parable of the sword and the seed, and it also talks about birds. But when Jesus explains it, he said, And the bird that came and took the seed out of the person's heart, lest they should believe, was the devil now, expeditional constancy means if the devil is a bird in one parable, he is also a devil in another parable. So when you read this here, you have something that's unnatural. First of all, mustard seeds don't grow into great big seeds, uh, trees, and so that birds can build their nests in them. And basically, he's talking about the work of the kingdom of heaven. We talked about the tares and the wheats, good seed, the gospel, bad seed, all these other religions. Well, here, to me, it's a picture of the church. The church, the average Calvary chapel, we have 1,700 of them worldwide, are anywhere between 100 and 200 people, the average. Granted, in places like Philadelphia, San Diego, Los Angeles, we have large ones into the tens of thousands. But they live in areas where there's millions and millions of people. And thus, but that's not the norm. It's not the average. So what we have here, I believe, is a picture of something that's unnatural. I don't believe a local pastor should have an obligation of being responsible for 30,000 people. Believe me, you guys are enough. (laughs) But being, you know, as it says in the scriptures, the pastor teacher is to teach, to equip the church, that's you, to do the work of ministry. And it's meant to be personal. Jesus invested his life in 12 guys for three years. It wasn't a mega thing. Oh, there was a multitude's but he invested in in the 12 and so what we have here is something that grows unnatural mega churches to be today are unnatural i don't believe that they, they they can maintain the fellowship that should be maintained in a local body the one on one relationship so i actually know you on a personal level and can inter, interact with you. That just simply doesn't happen. It's not natural. But more importantly, what happens when you have mega churches is you can't control all the bad doctrine that comes in and out. I had a Calvary Chapel pastor call me this week. He says, I had to take one of my elders and remove him from being an elder. I said, what for? He says he's teaching this Jewish root thing in his Bible study class. Now, for those of you who don't know what that is, the Jewish root movement is taking the one commandment to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And um, it's part of, of the teaching, and you have to do it. Well, that's crazy. And the reason it's crazy, the Bible says, if, you, if you're going to keep one of the commandments, then you have to keep them all, period. But that crept, crept into the church, And uh, he was the elder, fully latched on to it, and he wasn't going to let go of it. And so the pastor had to to let him go. I encouraged him. I said, you did the right thing. You allow a little leaven into the the fellowship, and it will affect the whole fellowship. Good place for an amen. Amen. You know, sometimes sometimes we get misunderstood, because what I'm going to do next is play a film clip of a church where the leaven has come in, even to the point of um, doctrines of demons. Before I show it to you, I want to tell you that the Bible warns us about this generation. I'm quoting from First Timothy 4. Now, the Holy Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, that's where we're living right now, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. In other words, allowing things in the church that are so bizarre where they're casting demons out of people in the church. And I'm going to play one minute clip. This is Bethel Church um, in California. The pastor's name is Bill Johnson. And this is a part of the SOZO, so zeal ministry of prayer which is another name for delivering people from whatever so here's just a little clip so you can get a feel for it what's taking place there hi i'm andrew strong author of the new 2015 edition of kundalini warning a false spirits invading the church and the main reason we've put out this new version of the book is because of bill johnson and Bethel Church in Reading, California. Now, there's no doubt that Bill Johnson is one of the most influential figures in the charismatic world today. But what really concerns us is what's going on behind the scenes at Bethel. A bunch of Bethel look like. <laughs> All of this footage comes from within Bethel itself. Obviously, as you can see, they're interpreting this drunkenness anointing, just like the others we've looked at. Now, what would happen if we started doing that here? <laughs> the place would clear pretty quick. <laughs> because you've been brought up under the teaching of the Word, and the Bible says these things are going to happen. We actually see them begin to happen. No. First Corinthians 14, well, you, you can turn to First Corinthians 13 now. When it comes to the working of the gifts of the Spirit, there's two trains of thought. Some say that the Bible study that I gave this morning and uh, signs and wonders and miracles ceased to exist after the time of the apostles. And there's others, uh, and they take this verse out of First Corinthians uh um, 13. In other words, that miracles don't happen anymore. And, um, as Jesus said in, in, uh, Matthew 16, these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. These are called sign gifts. Now, this has been misused and abused. How many of you heard of those guys out in Tennessee who take the snakes out of the cage and hold them up, and, um, and uh, some, of them, some of them get bit, and they die? They take this scripture. They want to prove their faith. And um, by taking it up and they die, they're testing the Lord and tempting the Lord. Let me put it in context. Remember when Paul was on his missionary journey and he landed on an island and he went to stoke the fire and he stuck his hand in for a piece of wood and a serpent latched onto him. He shakes it off and everybody's waiting for Paul to fall over dead. But he doesn't fall over dead because he's not hurt. Why? Because he wasn't testing the Lord, he was in a situation where he was bitten by a poisonous snake. He should have died. But here it says you will take up servants and and drink any deadly thing and it will by no means hurt you. But if you go around tempting the Lord by doing this crazy stuff, the world is going to shake its head. You crazy Christians, what do you think you're doing? And it just drives people further away from the Lord. But then on the other hand, um, I get to be in a position where I get to see the hand of the Lord work often. And I know beyond any shadow of a doubt that the gifts have not ceased. Well, where do where do they get that from? They get it from 1 Corinthians 13, which is, well, right before this, Paul is teaching on the gifts of, of the Spirit. Go to chapter 12, verse 8, 28. God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, Teachers, after that, miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administration, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Are all workers of miracles? No. Do all have the gift of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? Some will tell you yes, but the answer is no. Do all interpret? No. But earnestly desire the best gifts. And yet I will show you a more excellent way. And now we have the chapter on love. What basically says you can have all these gifts and they'll count for nothing unless you have love as a motivating, driving factor. I love you. You're not saved. And I don't want to see you go to hell. And because I love you, I'm going to tell you the truth, even though it's going to seem very, very narrow. And I know there's a lot of wackos out there that are letting snakes bite them. I understand all that. But it doesn't change the fact that God, like what Chuck says, God works supernaturally, naturally. And sometimes he works supernaturally, supernaturally. Sometimes he heals, sometimes he doesn't. You know, Paul told Timothy, I think Paul could have, if his handkerchief is healing people, and he has to tell Timothy, Timothy, I know you're sick, so put a little wine in with your water so your digestive system will be better. Hey, you're the Apostle Paul. Well, he prayed for him, and he wasn't sick, so he gave him some some other advice to help him out. And the question is, why doesn't God heal all the time? I don't know. He didn't heal everybody that he came across, even in his in his worldly ministry. If you go to verse 10 or verse 11, it talks about the gifts, and then it says love never fails in verse 8. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Wherever there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For now we know in part and prophesy in part. But that when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part is done away. Well, here's the argument. It's all over the word perfect. And those who do not believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for today say that which is perfect is this book. And once you have this book, then the sign gifts will no longer be. That which, where it says, uh, whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there's knowledge, it'll vanish away. Are you telling me knowledge is vanished away? Knowledge is not vanished away. So what's that which is perfect? Oh, when the Lord comes back. See, he's the one who's perfect. When that which is perfect, in other words, when Jesus comes, I won't have the need for the gift of tongues or for the gift of healings because I'm going to have a new body and it's not going to get sick, and he's going to understand everybody's language. In James chapter five, if um, the gifts are not for today, James said, "Is there anybody that's suffering? Let him pray. If you're cheerful, sing songs. Anybody among you sick?" Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray for them anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up and if he's committed sins he'll be forgiven. This is later on in the book of James where we're told to call for the elders anoint them with oil and the prayer of faith will cause that one to be healed. So are the gifts still for today? Oh, absolutely. Um, they will come to an end when we no longer have the need for them with our, our special uh, bodies. All right, I'll close with this. Did I say that yet today, at least twice? Okay, I promise this time. Jesus sent the disciples out, 70 of them, and when they came back, it was their first missionary outreach. And they came back, and are they excited? And they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Jesus said, behold, I give you authority to, to trample on serpents and scorpions and over the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now, having said that, every one of them died a martyr, Right? Except for John. And then he says, Nevertheless, you guys are all stoked because you got power over demons. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your name is written in heaven and you guys are going to heaven. That's something to be excited about. And that our Jesus rejoiced in his spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and you reveal them to babes. Even so, Father, so it seemed good to you in your sight. You see, the intellectual, people who have more smarts than they think they have, (laughs) when they think this through with miracles, they dismiss it because it doesn't make sense here. Chuck always would talk to us when it came to praying for people. Let it bypass here. And by faith, let it just go here. Just because Jesus said so. And the prayer of faith in Jesus' name, no matter what your head is thinking, because in your head you're thinking it's foolishness. One of the reasons he said, unless you become like a little child, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, Daddy, Daddy told me the sky was orange. So it's orange. No, it's blue. My Daddy said it's orange, is orange. What is that? It's the faith of a child because of what his father said. Amen? Okay, amen. Let's stand and we'll close in prayer. Lord, so much to take in as we see the temptation that you went through for 40 days and 40 nights. And um, we see the enemy trying to thwart you from even going to the cross. Lord, I just pray this morning that we would not be naive when it comes to the spiritual realm. And I pray that we would be better equipped as a result of studying your word, which tells us greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Especially for anyone that may be wrestling as a a Christian where they might think they're demon possessed. And um, that your word would set them free. Oppressed? Absolutely. Possessed? Absolutely not. And let them have that freedom to know that this is the thorn in the flesh that you allow from time to time to keep us humble, to keep us usable. And we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.